Amen. You all made some really good selections tonight. As I was thinking about how tonight would look and, and what to even speak on, I, I thought, you know, it may be appropriate to tie in a song uh, with my message. So I'm, I'm glad actually no one chose the song that I was going to, that, I, that I've chosen to, to speak on here tonight. Uh, and I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want to bounce around just very quickly here for the next few moments uh, and looking at, at least starting off in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And the song that I was going to speak on here tonight is the song, it's hymn number 64. Anyone know what it is? Hymn number 64, Brother Mike? You can never stump him. He's got the entire handbook memorized. To God be the glory. Uh, many of us know it quite well. Uh, it, it was published back in 1875 by Fanny Crosby. It really didn't become popular, though, until around the 1950s, at least not here in America. Today, this is a really one of the favorite hymns, obviously not among us, but, no, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but it's a favorite hymn that is th sung throughout many churches because of its great message. This hymn serves as a really wonderful reminder that we worship and serve a great God. And you'd think that we wouldn't need this reminder, that we wouldn't need to constantly have it drilled into us that we serve this awesome God based on how much God does for us every single day. But we do end up losing sight of God's blessings, don't we? As we go about our day and get into our routines, we kind of, not that we're, we're trying to do this, but we often kind of lose track of the things that God is doing in our lives. Uh, we don't always give him the praise that he is deserving because we have come to expect a lot of his blessings to just appear every day. It's interesting how God blesses us every day. But the more we're blessed, the less we see the blessings as blessings. We're so quick to forget what God has done in our past. We're quick to forget what God has even promised for us in the future. And we're so quick to forget that God is even with us here in the present. And when we do turn our attention to him, we're often guilty of thinking too little of him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses is reminding the people of how good God has been to them and why he is deserving of all of their praise. I think these reminders are incredibly important because we tend to lose track of just how big God really is. In Numbers chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, but when God instructed that 12 spies be sent out to go and, and survey the land that he had promised to the nation of Israel, 10 of the spies, were told, would bring an evil report. The land had everything the people would ever need, everything it would ever need except for the fact that it was occupied. And the occupants were bigger, they were taller, they were stronger, they were greater in number than the children of Israel. And 10 of the spies said that this was an impossible mission. We don't care what God has said regarding this land, it can't be taken. There's too many people there, and they are bigger, taller, stronger, and just more in number than us. And then we read this in Numbers 13 and verse number 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Ten of the spies were terrified at everything that they saw because they never looked high enough. Joshua and Caleb saw all the land. They saw all the occupants of the land. But then they looked up 
to see the almighty God and to know that he was going to be with them. No matter what you're going through, no matter the problems that are before you, we need to always remember that we serve the all-powerful, all-sufficient God. God is greater than all the problems we have and will ever have. He is greater than any enemy that we will ever face, greater than anything that will ever come against us. If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling defeated, perhaps you need to be reminded of everything that the Lord has done for you. When you take a moment to reflect on God's goodness in your life, I promise you your entire outlook will change and you'll be proudly able to say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So quickly tonight, I'd like to point out, and don't shriek, seven aspects of God's greatness through several individuals in the Bible. Uh, And again, this is going to be quick, so bear with me. First, through the life of Moses, we see that God is greater than our future. We see that God is greater than our future. You're here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And Moses was instructing this new generation as they were preparing to enter into the promised land. He was reminding them of God's provisions throughout their entire journey, all the way from Egypt. And he finishes the thought with these words in verse number 21. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 21. He is thy praise and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. I love that. He is thy praise, and he is thy God. So many of the people were afraid about their future. In order for them to claim the promised land, they would have to fight battles. They would have to conquer enemies. Due to the lack of faith of their fathers, they had been forced to stay out in the wilderness for an additional 40 years until that generation died off. And when you jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 11, the very next chapter, we see that God's promise was to make them bigger and stronger than their enemies. Look at what it says in verses 22 to 25 in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you, to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him, Then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he had said unto you. How awesome is that? God literally says, I'm going to go before you and before every enemy that you're about to go and conquer, I'm going to put the fear of God in them and they're going to be fearful of you because of who I am. Many of us have concerns about our future, which... I'll be honest, only happens when we forget about God's past faithfulness. Because if we had God's past faithfulness right on our minds, we'd have no concerns about the future. You may not know what's going to be in the future and how it's all going to unwind, but you'll have no concerns about it. Since God has proven himself faithful and greater than all of our past problems, is there any reason for us to be fearful about our future problems? Because there are going to be future problems. And all the craziness of life, Don't ever lose sight of the fact that God is greater than everything and he's done great things in our lives. So we see that God is greater than our future, but secondly, notice that God is greater than our poor decisions. Praise the Lord. Greater than our poor decisions. After the nation of of Israel went through the period of the judges, they came to the prophet Samuel and they came and they asked him to set a king over them. 
And Samuel grieved over this decision because he knew that the people were rejecting God as their king. God had done everything for them. They didn't need a king. But God told him that he would give the people what they wanted, even though their decision would eventually cause them all sorts of heartache. And he tells them that from the get-go. You're going to regret this. He's going to tax you. He's going to send your people. He's going to send your children to war. And you're going to regret being like every one of the other nations. And after Samuel had anointed Saul to be king because God gave them what they asked for, he presented him to the people. He exhorted the people in 1 Samuel 12, 24, which was one of our previous memory verses. I'm not going to ask if anyone knows it, but hopefully you do. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. He's drawing their attention right to God. Samuel had warned the people of the consequences of the poor decision, but also gave them the promise of the Lord. And notice what he said just two verses earlier in 1 Samuel 12, 22. He said, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Even though the nation had all sorts of problems with Saul as their king, and they would, the Lord proved himself greater than their poor decision as he blessed the nation through Israel's second king. Who can tell me who the second king of Israel was? Who are you named after? King David, second king of Israel. We got a plenty of Davids here. King David, through the descendants of King David, the king of kings would enter humanity. We make poor decisions all the time, which end up costing us blessings from God, but the comfort we have as believers is that we can always come back to God. God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, not even after we make poor decisions that lead us into all sorts of trouble. When we fear the Lord and we seek to follow him out of poor decisions, God will bring blessings. And notice third, God is greater than our plans. God is greater than our plans. Throughout the life of David, we see how much greater God is than all the plans that we make. David had grand plans as king to build a house for the Lord. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 2, he told, the, he told Nathan the prophet this. He said, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. So he's assessing the situation. He says, How does this write? The ark of God, which is a symbol of God's presence and his power here among us, is resting in a little tabernacle. And here I am living in this grand and glorious house. How can this be right? He was unsettled. He wanted to do something about it. And as much as he wanted this for the Lord, to, to build the Lord a house where the ark of God could sit, something fantastic and ornate and beautiful, the Lord told David that he would not be the one to build the house, but that his son would be the one to build it. And even better than that, God told David that he would build David a house. Listen to what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and verse number 16. It says, And thine house and thy kingdom, this is God speaking to David, thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. God was telling David that the Messiah would come through David's line and sit upon his throne for all eternity. David's plan was to bring a temporary honor and a temporary glory to God. But God's plans for David brought eternal blessings to the entire world. And as David heard this from the Lord, he offered a prayer of gratitude. I want you to notice what he prayed in 2 Samuel 7, verses 21 to 22, just a portion of his prayer. He said, For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart, Hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them? 
Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. The truth is that God has great plans for each of us, but many of us are too busy carrying out our own plans and we end up ignoring God's plans and missing out on all sorts of blessings that he has for us. We need to be open to God's leading because his plans, every one of them, are greater than ours. Notice fourth, God is greater than our thoughts. God is greater than our thoughts. Through the story of Job, we learn that God is greater than anything that we could possibly comprehend. Job was one of the most God-fearing men to live. You see that in chapter 1. And the Lord had blessed him greatly, but God had allowed him to be severely tested by Satan. Throughout the entire account, you read all 42 chapters, and Job never finds out why all the problems came about. His friends come and tell him that he's dealing with many issues, that there's sin in his life that needs to be addressed, but they had no clue what was really going on. And then came another friend by the name of Elihu, who still didn't know what was going on, but he gave Job some really excellent insight. Listen to what he told Job in Job 37 and verse number 5. Job 37 verse 5 says, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, notice this, which we cannot comprehend which we cannot comprehend. All the other friends are telling Job that there's sin in his life that needs to be addressed, and this is why God is punishing him. And again, it's not bad advice, but not the right time. They don't know what's really going on. And here comes Elihu, who, again, doesn't know what's going on, and he says, we don't know what's going on because God's ways are not comprehensible to us. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, doeth he which we cannot comprehend. None of us know how God does the things that he does, and we cannot know his mind or even comprehend his purposes at times. God said in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is working in our lives in ways in which that are they're just so far above and beyond our level of comprehension. But don't let that discourage you. Let it serve as a reminder that we don't live on expectations. We live on the promises that God has given us. Even, the God, even though God is infinitely greater than the greatest idea that we could have of him, we can still be confident that he is working for our good. And notice, number five, God is greater than our limitations. God is greater than our limitations. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel appeared unto Mary to reveal that God had chosen her to be the means by which his only begotten son would come into the world, Mary responded in verse number 34 of Luke chapter 1. She said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This is impossible, she says. Even though Mary couldn't understand the specifics of the miracle that would be done through her, she willingly submitted to God's plan. And Mary's realization of God's power over her limitations led her to sing a song of praise to God later on in Luke 1. And notice what it says in verses 46 to 49. She says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. God used an ordinary woman to accomplish his purpose. No one is ever too small to be used by God, and no job is ever too big for the Lord to perform. God is greater than every single one of our limitations. And notice number six, God is greater than the powers of darkness. God is greater than the powers of darkness. In one of the few occasions where Jesus traveled beyond the borders of the region of Israel, 
He encountered a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. We read the story in in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus cast out every single one of the legion of demons out of the man and into a herd of swine that proceeded to just fly off a cliff and drown in the sea. The man who had been freed was so grateful as to what just happened to him that he wanted to jump in the boat with Jesus as Jesus was getting back into the boat to sail back across the Sea of Galilee, back back to the region of, of Galilee and Capernaum. But Jesus told the man that he had different plans for him. Listen to what he told the man in Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. And this is what has basically been our theme for this year. Mark 5 verse 19, Jesus told the man, he said, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14, the Bible tells us that as believers, we also have been delivered from the powers of darkness by Christ, it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And we're also told later on in the New Testament, 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that is indwelling every single believer, we can live victoriously in a world that still may be filled with darkness. And notice number seven, God is greater than our enemies. God is greater than our enemies. In Psalm 126, the psalmist mentions all sorts of great things the Lord had done for the nation of Israel, specifically in delivering them from captivity. And listen to the first three verses in Psalm 126. It says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. We may not deal with the same troubles that the nation of Israel endured, but we still have enemies today. May we be encouraged to know that even in distress, the Lord hears our prayers and is greater than even the greatest enemy that we'll ever face. We too can say, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. So as a result of all of these things, and we've looked at them very quickly, and there's probably a million more that we can mention. But as a result of these seven things that we've mentioned so far, we can conclude that God deserves glory. He deserves the glory. Even though we don't think about it as often as we should, we have a great God who has done so many great things for us. We can live confidently in life knowing that God is always present and that God is greater than anything that we will ever face. Since the Lord has done great things for us, he is deserving of all praise and glory. We're told in Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. The Lord has done many wonderful things for us, and he will continue to do so as we trust in him and live in the center of his will. So may we sing together, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Will you sing that first verse with me as we close our time here this morning? It's hymn number 64, To God Be the Glory.